Hello, podcasters. Welcome back to Mr. Stroud's History Class. I want to begin with a shout-out, and this will be the shortest shout-out I've ever done. Not that this young lady does not deserve a longer one. She deserves one that is so long, it would take up the entire podcast. Let me just mention her name, and also an autobiography, Pulitzer Prize, Teresa and fortunate son. Thank you, Teresa, for being a member of Mr. Stroud's history class. Now, also, I've not been talking much, so my voice gives way. If my voice gives way too much, I'm not going to continue. I'm going to just stop it, and we will pretend that class is over, and I will pick up in the next podcast. So, here we go. Let's see how it goes. Okay? Since I mentioned that so many Medals of Honor were awarded for capturing Confederate flags, one of you podcasters might like to know what is the value of one of those flags today? Just a Confederate flag. Well, if you want to go and see what one is valued at, you can go to Rebel Relics. R-E-L-I-C-S, and look at their Confederate flag, and they're asking for $105,000. Spencer Carbines. I mentioned them during the Battle of Yellow Tavern, but I forgot to mention, you might want to get Valerie's line out, that I once had one. And it's the only one I've ever seen where there was an inscription, and it was presented to the commander of the troop. I traded it for a sword or something. I kind of regret it, but it's out there. Never seen another one. If you want to see one just what it looks like and want to buy one, you can go to the Horse Soldier Gettysburg. They have a Spencer carbine for sale there. Now, let's get on with what I'm going to talk about tonight. The 1864 presidential election. When I was thinking about this, I was almost convinced that history is repeating itself. It doesn't. Now, as one Pulitzer Prize historian said, it does not repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And that's what I got to thinking about in the November 64 election and the November 2021 podcast. Now, I'm going to tell you some of the things associated with the Union, and as you know, everything affects the presidency's popularity. And also, before I get started on this, I I want to mention something that I keep forgetting. I like coins. I like all kinds of things. And if you go to APEC, and it's a coin shop online in Oklahoma, you can see a two-cent piece. A two-cent piece. It's the first one was in 1864. It's the first coin to have the motto, In God We Trust. It was designed by the same gentleman that designed the Medal of Honor. The two-cent piece, In God We Trust. Now, since I mentioned money, in 1864, the war was costing the Union government 
$3 million a day. $3 million a day. And in 2021, as you all know, we have inflation. And people are going wild about it. I don't blame you. The inflation today is 6%. I'm going to count that in case you can't understand me. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Inflation in the Union in 1864 was 25%. 25%. Inflation in the Confederacy, 140%. 140%. Desertion in the Union Army had reached 200,000. 200,000. Desertion in the Confederate Army, 185,000. They were deserting in mass, in riots, riots, misspoke, getting ahead of myself, in regiments. There were also riots. There was a draft and people did not like being drafted then any more than they do now. Now, as you know, we don't have a draft now. And as I like to think of it, and I would tell my students, Congress just shut it up, put it on the shelf, and they can always reopen it. But they had a draft during the Civil War, and it was not popular. One of the protest songs that you can get on YouTube and listen to it by Tennessee Ernie Ford is Grafted Into the Army. Grafted Into the Army. Now, because there were draft unpopularity, Oh, let me mention this first, because I don't want to forget it. There was a draft riot in New York City, the bloodiest riot in American history, that killed 121 people. Most of them were black children. These were Irishmen that had attacked a black orphanage because they did not want to be drafted to go south and liberate slaves that would come north and take their job away from them. That draft riot lasted July 11 through 16, 1863, and was not stopped until Union soldiers came from Gettysburg after defeating Lee and fought the draft riots street by street. At one time, I had original Harper's Weeklies that draw, draw, I'm sorry, had drawings of these draft riots, and I would take them to class and show them, and those were the early wartime photographers. They were finally put down. Now the reason I paused, forgive me, I thought of another sword I had. Not anymore. It was an 1850 staff and field officers presented to a civilian for helping protect the New York Times during the New York draft riots. There is also a movie. The movie is Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York. It came out in 2002. It has Carmen Diaz in it. Leonardo da Vinci. I'm sorry, Leonardo DiCaprio is in it. It's a good movie, and at the end of the movie is the New York draft riot. There's another movie. And this is about desertion. 
because when you got drafted, people deserted. They were deserting all over the place. And this movie was Cold Mountain. Cold Mountain came out in 2004, I believe. And I went to see it in Longview. And the way the movie came about was the gentleman that wrote the book, it was based on a book, was into genealogy. And he found that one of his relatives had deserted Robert Lee's army at Petersburg. And he wrote the book about how that man made it home and what was going on. I will tell you this, podcasters, it does not glorify the Confederacy one little bit. And after I watched the movie, I was out in the theater at Longview, and some of my female students came up to me, and they were crying. And they said, is that the way it really was, Mr. Stroud? And I said, yes. It did not glorify the Confederacy one little bit. Now, with this draft right, I mean, excuse me, with all the rights and all, needing men, they get the draft. People are drafted into the army, but there were ways you could get out of it. I was once in the East Texas Historical Association, and whenever we got a book in to review, the president of the Historical Association, Dr. Archie P. McDonald, who I really like, would send me the book if it was on the Civil War. One of them was on the New York draft riot. And what I found out is there were many ways to get out of the draft. But the one that students seemed to be most impressed with, one that people seemed to remember, was that if you paid $300, then you didn't have to go. That $300 in 1864 would have been $5,000 today. Another thing to do is you could hire a substitute. And the one person that I know that hired a substitute was Theodore Roosevelt's father. Now, if you know anything about Theodore, you know that he was very pro-military. And I will tell you this, that disappointed him that his father hired a substitute and skipped the Civil War. Now, I can identify with that. And one of the reasons I want to tell you this is because of that professor I had that I really like cannot remember his name. And he would say, gentlemen, since I lived through the period we're speaking of, I feel obligated to tell you of some of the things that you will not read in textbooks. He said, when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, I was a school teacher, and it was a Sunday, of course, so I was out at the gym shooting baskets. All of a sudden, the door to the gym opened, and there was my fiance. She ran up to me and said, which military service are you going to join? And I said, I thought I'd just wait till they needed me, and then they would call me. She slapped me, he said, and took the ring off her finger and threw it on the floor and I never saw her again. We said, what did you do? And he said, I shot more baskets. He eventually went, and he commanded a machine gun company. Now, the way I can identify with that is my dad 
was right at the edge of being too old when Second World War came about. I was always kind of disappointed that he didn't go. Because there were kids my age whose fathers were coming back and they were bringing souvenirs. And the ones I remember were the patches of the German army. So one day I asked my dad, why didn't you join the army? And he simply said, I didn't want to get killed. Well, that was hard to argue with. I can understand that now. But anyway, you could hire a substitute. You could pay your way out of it. And there were many ways to get out of the draft. Lincoln even hired a substitute and prayed every day that he would not be killed and he wasn't killed. Now in 1864, people did not even know if Lincoln wanted to run for re-election. He never said he did. In those days, it was the office seeks the man. The man does not seek the office. And he hadn't said anything about it. Now these are the traditions. There were one-term presidents. That was the tradition now, that no president was going to be re-elected. The one-term presidency had been established. So what I want to do is I want to mention the last two-term president before Lincoln, and that was Andrew Jackson in 1828. Now I'm going to mention the name of every president that was president after Jackson, that all served one term. Martin Van Buren, William Henry Harrison, John Tyler, James K. Polk, Zachary Taylor, Millard Fillmore, Franklin Pierce, James Buchanan, and there is Lincoln. They did not believe, if he wanted to run, that he was going to be reelected. One of the biographies I have on Lincoln when it comes to the 1864 election, which by the way, most books don't do, the chapter title sums it up. There are no Lincoln men. There are no Lincoln men. Lincoln was also seen as too weak, not a good commander in chief, didn't want a second term. Now, there were things going on, as I've mentioned before, that's going to affect the popularity of the president. And one of those, of course, is the inflation, the death of Union soldiers, the desertion of Union soldiers. And then there's this thing that I like to think of as the October Surprise. Now, the October Surprise is something that happens in the month preceding the election that influenced the election. Now this is my wording, October surprise, because the October surprise that I'm going to tell you about took place in July of 1864. Not November, not October, July. It's known as the Battle of the Crater. Grant was bogged down at Petersburg. Now, what Robert Lee knew how to do was he knew how to build fortifications. He knew how to build forts. And like I like to say, 
Robert Lee was not a rambling wreck from Georgia Tech, but he was a heck of an engineer. Just think about the fortifications at Spotsylvania. And Grant had no way of getting through them. Grant, by now, I'm going to mention, is getting a reputation of being a slaughterer, a butcher. Now, those are mainly by the people that were the enemies of Grant, but he was known as Butcher Grant. He couldn't get in through Petersburg. He was bogged down there. And then some Union officers came up with a bright idea. They're going to put a lot of gunpowder into a crater, and they're going to explode it. And then they're going to rush in divisions of Union soldiers, and they're going to win the battle. Now, the Union soldiers that were going to be rushed in was a division of black soldiers. They were normally thought of as USCT. USCT. United States Colored Troops. But then at the last minute, George Gordon Meade, the hero of Gettysburg, got to thinking that if something went wrong, those black troops could be slaughtered and it would not be good for the Union cause. And so they moved that black division out and moved in a white division. They put tons of gunpowder in. And on July the 30th, they exploded it. Confederates went up in the air and found religion and came back down. Soldiers rushed into the crater. And they were slaughtered. Black soldiers were sent in. The black division. And they were slaughtered as well. Nothing went right. The Union commanders that sent them in, they had found a barn and were drinking whiskey. Now, if you want to see this, you can see a movie, and it begins with this, and this is the movie Cold Mountain. Now, I may have just mentioned that, but it begins with that crater, and it's very realistic, as much as I can tell. I mean, after all, let's be honest, none of us lived then. We don't know. We can see a movie and say, oh, it looks realistic. It may look realistic, but we don't know. But it is a good depiction of the Battle of the Crater. And there were casualties. Casualties. Which further convinced people that Lincoln didn't know what he was doing. Now, General Sherman was bogged down outside of Atlanta with 80,000 men. This was the military situation. This is just a little bit of it. Grant had Petersburg, the Battle of the Crater. This, of course, affects Lincoln's popularity. And now we have General Sherman. And he is bogged down outside of Atlanta with his 80,000 soldiers. He can't break through to Atlanta. Now, what I'm going to do is this. What I'm going to do is this. Why do I keep saying things like that? The month before the election in November, Lincoln is going to be nominated on a ticket that did not ever exist before. If you know that Lincoln did not run as a Republican in 1864, then you're one of the few. Most people don't know that. They don't even know that he ran, don't even know that there was an election. 
but they had to invent a ticket. And the name of that ticket was the National Union Ticket. Now, the reason you read that they was nominated by the National Union Ticket is because they say that too many people disliked the Republican Party, so they moved Lincoln over to another party, then they would then vote for him. Now, I really don't believe that for one minute. Because if there's somebody I don't like, and you're just moving to another political party, I'm not going to vote for him there either. So I'm going to tell you something. And I cannot document this. I don't know where I came up with it, but I will tell you this. I cannot unforget it. And it makes more sense than just moving somebody over to a brand new political party. And this is that that I cannot unforget. Before the 1864 election, head of the Republican Party came to see Lincoln. And they told him, you don't have a chance of being reelected. So you have to drop slavery. Or you're not going to get reelected, and you might not get reelected then. And Lincoln said, sir, I cannot do that. And then they said, okay, you're not going to drop slavery. You have to postpone the election until after the war. He said, I can't do that either. And they said, since you won't do A and B, we won't nominate you. And they walked out. And so he is now nominated by the National Union Ticket. The National Union Ticket. I used to think that past presidents were chosen by the nominee. That's the way it is now. Why do I think that everything now is the way it was then? It wasn't. The party selected the vice president. And the one they selected was a Democrat from Tennessee, Andrew Johnson. Now, vice president in 1860 was Hannibal Hamlin. And I've read several things about Hannibal Hamlin, that he didn't want to run, it was okay with him, he wasn't about to run again, he didn't care anything about it. And so Andrew Johnson, a wartime Democrat, was put on the ticket as a vice president to try to attract Democrat votes. So that's the Lincoln ticket, Lincoln and Johnson. Now who do the Democrats nominate? They nominate the most popular general in the Union Army, George B. McClellan. He's still in the Army. He hasn't gotten out. He said that once he won the election and became president, he would resign. But he's still in the Army. And I think what they're thinking is, we can get the Army vote by nominating George B. McClellan. And for his vice president, he gets a senator by the name of Pemberton. Now, what are they running on? A vote for Lincoln is very simple. We're going to fight this war until it's over, and we're going to win. And we're going to free the slaves and hold the Union together. Now, vote for McClellan. We're going to stop the war, grant the South their independence, and let them keep their slaves. That's the cut.
No one believed Lincoln was going to get reelected, especially Lincoln. So he went to his office and he called in Frederick Douglass. He told Douglass, I'm not going to get reelected. And the man that's going to become in his president is not going to allow slaves to come north. So I want you to start the Underground Railroad again and get as many of them out as you can. He said, okay. And so that's the way they're going to vote. A vote for Lincoln, continue the war in slavery, hold the Union together. A vote for McClellan, stop the war and let the South have independence and their slaves. Now, there are many people that glorify the Confederacy. In 2021, there are those that want to succeed again. Tom Cruise, I'm sorry, Ted Cruise, Senator, talking about secession. They have highly romanticized what secession and the Confederacy was like. Remember what the inflation rate was. There was also starvation rights. And there were women in Richmond that were riding to get bread. And as they're approaching a warehouse, a man jumped up on a table and pulled a coat revolver out and fired it in the air and said, I'm sorry, I bet he didn't fire it in the air. He knew better than that. That bullet's got to come down. Fired it on the ground. Pulled out a stopwatch and said, ladies, you've got five minutes to get out of here or I'm going to start shooting. And they just froze. And that second hand kept turning. And that crowd of women started backing up. And they finally just left. The Confederacy was not any great place at all. In fact, if any of you read my book, Flames and Vengeance, when the South was getting ready to succeed, and Texas was getting ready to succeed, there was one member of Texas Congress that told people if there were not a slave-holding Confederacy to join, they would stay where they were because they're not about to go out and become a republic again. That the only people that liked the republic were the ones that were never in it. There was nothing great about that. But at any rate, that's the way the election was mounting up. Lincoln and McClellan. I did this when I was in class. And I don't mind having done it. That by the time I got through this election, we were running out of time. It was time for the test. <coughs> Excuse me, podcast. <coughs> and I appreciated the students that were still there. So this is what I told them. I'm going to tell you why Lincoln won re-election. It's going to be three words. Write them down. You're going to see them on the test. And those three words were Sherman took Atlanta. Sherman captured Atlanta. And then that was the light at the end of the tunnel. The floodgate had opened. It was all over but the shouting. And that's what got Lincoln reelected. 
Now, I'm going to tell you something else. What do I, what do I, Sherman could not have taken Atlanta had the soldiers not done something. And I'm going to tell you what it is. What I said, this is it. General Sherman was fighting Uncle Joe Johnston. Sherman had 80,000 men. Joe Johnston had 78,000. Now, they would charge, come up to a Confederate entrenchment on a hill, and then instead of attacking it, they would try to flank it, and then the Confederates would retreat, and it'd do it all over again. One retreat after another. Joe Johnston is watching. And a member of the Confederate Congress, who was a friend of Joe Johnston, came out to see him. And he wanted Joe Johnston to fight, not keep retreating. And he told Joe Johnston, the president said, had he been in your boots, he could have already defeated General Sherman. Well, Joe Johnston just smiled. And he said, that doesn't surprise me at all. For our president thinks he can do what God himself cannot do. He thinks he can make brag a general. Well, one thing Joe Johnston knew that all the others didn't was he had a secret. And that secret was those 80,000 Union soldiers out front one day would disappear like snow in the springtime. And that was the enlistment of those men will be up. They were on a three-year enlistment. 1864 is the third year. It's time for them to go home. And Joe Johnson wondered, there's nothing in the world you can tell them to convince them to re-enlist. Now, there were incentives that if 85% of a regiment re-enlisted, they got to add the word veteran to their unit. So instead of being the first New York volunteers, he could become the first New York veteran volunteers. Now, would that word get you to re-enlist? When I was getting out of the Marine Corps in 1968, processing out, I had to go and visit with a sergeant that was supposed to try to talk me into staying in the Corps. And one of the things he did was, as soon as I walked in his office, he saw I had Vietnam ribbons. I'd been to Vietnam. So he just asked me, are you going to re-enlist? I said, no. Then he reminded me of the $10,000 bonus I could get if I did re-enlist. And I said, no. And so he said, okay, let's go get some coffee. So we went and got some coffee. What's going to make those soldiers re-enlist? Well, what he found out was one day he got up, he looked out there, the enlistment was up, and they were all there. They were all there. Why did they stay? Because they wanted to win the war. They wanted to hold the Union together. They wanted to defeat the Confederacy. And what they got to do was go home and vote and then come back. And those that could not go home to vote, 
voted absentee. The soldier vote in 1864 was the first absentee ballots in American history. I'm going to tell you, in 2021, and you know this, there are many, many, many Americans that want to stop absentee ballots. Well, they say if you can't get down to the polls, you don't deserve to vote. If you do that, you've eliminated the entire military. They voted absentee. And they voted for Lincoln. And it was a soldier vote that got Lincoln reelected. Now, before I leave this, I'm going to mention the actions that Joe Johnston had inviting his way to Atlanta. I'm going to just mention them, and then I'm going to say something about the Medal of Honor. Okay, Rocky Face Ridge, May 7th to 13th. Kennesaw Mountain, June 27th. Hendersonville, May 17th. New Hope Church, May 25th. Dallas, May 26th. Pickett's Mill, May 27th. Now I'm going to do, I, I looked at Medals of Honor, because you know how I am about Medals of Honor. But I didn't feel that I should list a lot of them, or tell you about many of them, because we weren't doing any battles. But then I saw one. And this is one that I wanted to tell you to demonstrate that learning is an ING word. If you remember when I talked to you about the Medal of Honor before, I told you that in the Civil War, if you were killed, you could not receive the Medal of Honor. Well, let me mention this. Oh, and also, that most Medals of Honor were awarded close to the end of the lives of these soldiers, near 1900. So I'm going to just read you this one. This one. Private Dennis Berkeley, 136 New York, July 28, 1864, Peachtree Creek, Georgia, was killed in action their capture of flag of the 31st Mississippi, awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously April 7, 1865. There is no end to learning. No end to learning. Lincoln was re-elected thanks to the Army, thanks to the soldiers, and the war is going to continue. And the vote was this. Lincoln and Johnson, the National Union ticket, received 22,183,088, or 55%, 212 electoral votes. Notice I did not say college. The word college is I cannot find in the Constitution. The Peace Democrats, McClellan, 18,128,000, or 45%, 21 electoral votes. Now this is seen as a landslide for Lincoln. But I look at it a different way. When you think about what they're voting on, holding the Union together, or letting the Confederacy have independence, that to me is close. 45% of the Americans in the North wanted to allow the Confederates independence. Now, I'm going to tell you what would happen if that had happened. Because, again, 
Many have over-glorified the Confederacy. Secession. This is what would have happened. The Hank Williams Jr. sings a song, Oh, if the South had only won, everything would be fine. A words to that effect. Well, I disagree. I've got a more realistic. If the, cow, if the South had won, then everyone would have whistled Dixie, thrown Everyone would have whistled Dixie, danced and celebrated, and then this would have happened. Not long after independence, which would have proved secession was constitutional, Georgia would have succeeded from the Confederacy because the governor of Georgia hated Jeff Davis. And then all of a sudden, Tennessee would have. And then Texas. And then other states. And then all of a sudden, the counties within the states would have succeeded from those states. And so the Republic of Texas would have become the Great Republic of Russ County. And the Great Republic of Gray County. And then after a while, the Great Republic of Gray County would have become the Great Republic of Henderson because Henderson would have succeeded. And this would have been happening all over North America. And so the teacher, when you got in this class, would have said, make sure you get the textbook that has the map of the 3,128 little republics that once was the United States of America. That's a much more realistic answer to secession in 1864 than Hank Williams Jr. singing. What a great thing it would have been. That's it today, podcasters. I appreciate you putting up with me, and I will see you on the next podcast. Have a good holiday. This is November. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, podcasters. Thank you, thank you, thank you.